so this morning, um, there's about eight little sections here or so um, for us to, to look at. Um, that, that would be too much um, for us to do this morning. But we, we kind of used the extra week up in the last section, and we may do that too here and, and cover it over three weeks. We'll just see how it goes. We're not going to rush through it. But, um, but I do want as close to July 1 um, as we can or whatever the first week that we meet in July they kind of get into the Bible. Um, you know, that's always been the core of what we do. Um, this has been kind of different for us to take a book and, and take like Spurgeon like this. I think the book has been extremely rich and really um, mm -hmm. practically stimulates some important things. Um, so we're not going to get away from that altogether. But, uh, but I do want us to kind of get back to the heart and get in the word and um, actually look at the text and just just in the purpose of balance. I mean, one of the things I noted in my notes of what we got this morning is Spurgeon is such a great exact example of um, of balance. Um, let me um, stop that a second. <laughs> Put a squash on <laughs> But uh. I didn't know how loud it would get. But uh, so Spurgeon was such a good balance. And so there's a lot of things that this book lays out that that kind of identifies some of your weaknesses um, and maybe identifies some of your strengths. So one of the things that it's going to talk about in balance today is we just have a tendency to play to our strengths and um, neglect our weaknesses. And that when we're presenting the gospel to people, we need to to create that 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 full gospel or that balanced gospel so um so what we'll do like i said um i've got four kind of prepared that may be rushing it this morning but we'll we'll kind of walk through it the best we can if we had that if we have to add one more week to this we will but um but there's eight here i'll read them to you the introduction and then it's supernatural I put introduction, and we'll look at this this morning as we start out. Is how how did Spurgeon enter the enter into the pulpit, or how did he enter into starting a sermon and preaching? What what all went into getting there? Um, number two, supernatural enlightenment. Um, I'll, I'll give this analogy, and we'll talk about it when we get to that section. But think about the Word of God as the puzzle pieces. It's like a it's like a puzzle box, and um. And, and if any of you have put like about a thousand piece puzzle together, it can take a day or two. And sometimes it can be frustrating. Um, some piece, pieces are easy. And, and if you do it as a family, some of the family members stick on the easy parts and leave the hard part for you. And maybe you put the outside, uh, you know, your frame first because it's got this, the, the line area. But we approach the Bible in the same way. There are certain texts like texts like Leviticus or Song of Solomon that we're like, what do we do with this part? And we save that to the very last, you know, piece to address. And we have a tendency to get into the gospel or first and second Corinthians or something like that. And so if you look at all the books of the Bible, all the, the doctrines that are there and stuff, they're the pieces of the puzzle. Um, but but we can be in balance of how we put it together we may do the easy part first and you know and, and and avoid the hard part and and we may dread leviticus or something like that you know but what the holy spirit does is it, it leads us through putting the puzzle together the way the puzzle needs to be put together and um and so supernatural enlightenment that's the second part and it just talks about the importance of the holy ghost coming in and working with us to give us the right perspective of not just really the word of God, but also the word of God contains doctrinal firm foundation statements that, that we have to commit our lives to. And so he does, he leads us through that. He knows the ones we're weak in. He keeps um, bringing us back to it, encouraging us to not run from them, but to run to them. And so the third one is divine wisdom which really speaks about balance. Um, you need wisdom to um, do things at the right time, the right place with the right people, that kind of thing, balance. And then fiery passion. Um, one of the things I just put as a side note to fiery passion is he changes um, others by first changing you. Um, sometimes we want other people to change. We want the church to change. We want the pastor to change. We want our family to change. Um, but, but God 
changes us. And then the change that people see that he's doing in us actually changes them. But you are always the first priority for, for you to change, for you to keep your eyes focused on him. And so those are the four we'll look at. And then, uh, you know, next week or, or, or the third week, however it works out, is uh, is he, he talks about how the Holy Spirit helps us in, in giving a compelling delivery. He helps us have an into, intense focus. He helps us have deep convictions. And then ultimately, he's the reason the gospel triumphs over evil. Um, so let's look. It's uh, I have make sure you got my notes. If you look at page 105 in your book is where we'll be. And I want us to just kind of open up by reading um, the way the author, the author is pretty good in his descriptions and stuff. But I want to kind of slowly walk through this first paragraph. And I want us to pretend that we're in England at the Metropolitan Tabernacle and that we can see this first paragraph and we can, we can kind of transport ourselves in, in our mind to that place and see Spurgeon at this place entering into the pulpit to preach. He says it this way on 105, in the Metropolitan Tabernacle, two curving staircases, one on either side, led from the lower platform to the elevated pulpit where Charles Spurgeon stood to preach. When the congregation um, singing was completed, the great preacher began to ascend to the pulpit. As Spurgeon climbed the stairs, he did so with slow, methodical steps of a heavyset man. Far heavier, though, was the enormous responsibility that he felt. I'll pause for a second. So you see this picture. There's this elevated platform, these two spiral cases, this big old guy kind of squishing through those because those spiral cases are kind of narrow. And they stop singing and he stands up and he's walking through. And 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 he makes this point. He says, and, and I think we ought to take a moment to think about our pastors, think about the pastors that have made an impact in our life, the teachers and stuff. Is that for someone to truly present the gospel to us, for truly to teach you the word of God? At some point in their heart, they had a heavy weight put on them. And they had to, to say, as far as me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord or Lord send me. At some point, they had to realize that, that there was more to this life than just what we see, that there's an eternal kingdom that we're going to, and that, that, that this talking about the gospel is a big deal. And that somebody has to wake up and talk about it. Somebody has to make a priority because the God of this world is blinding us and putting us to sleep and keeping us from talking about it. And so you see, you know, this big man getting up and you see outward things. But what he speaks about here is what was inwardly going on in the heart of Spurgeon. And luckily, in this case, we've got like cartoons have the, the caption that tells you what someone's thinking. We, we, we get some glimpse of what Spurgeon was thinking because he told us, right? But, but, but every pastor that's getting up or should be, every godly pastor that God's eyes on and is proud of what that minister is doing is carrying a heavy weight this morning as he's preparing. And when he walks up until he starts to preach this morning, he's carrying a heavy weight. And so he speaks about it here. He says, far heavier, though, was the enormous responsibility that he felt, that Spurgeon felt. He said, knowing that he was about to preach to thousands gathered and to the multiplied thousand through the printed page, the gravity of the moment weighed greatly on him. So think about that. What if this morning... He was going to get a microphone and what you said, a thousand people eyeballs out in the audience was looking at you and you had their attention. What would you tell them? What would you point them to? What would you guide them to? And if, if your answer is the gospel, how would you do it? Would you do it? Well, would you have been prepared enough to do it in a way that would compel them um, to respond to Christ, or would you would you give them a higher view of Christ, or would they say, eh, "I've heard that before," so on and so forth? You know, if you were speaking to a thousand people this morning, what would that weight 
be like for you? And if you knew that that was recorded and was going to be transcribed and put in the newspaper on Monday morning, what, how would that affect this weekend and how you prepared and how you, you got to that place of taking the microphone of the Lord and representing him as his ambassador? How would that do for you? So on page 106, he says this, in ch- this is chapter two. He says, therefore, on each of the 15 steps, Spurgeon silently declared to himself a personal confession of faith. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And here he only says it three times. But maybe this week, as you think about the, the, the way Spurgeon handled the weightiness of the opportunity of sharing the gospel that God gave him, Maybe you can think about 15 times he said, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Every step he took, he said, I need the Holy Spirit to guide and lead me. If as I stand up at that pulpit and I begin to speak, if the Holy Spirit is not with me, this is going to be embarrassing. It it is not going to be helpful to the people. All my preparation is going to be in vain. I need the Holy Spirit to do what only he can do. And he says, He says, we can be sure that after this affirmation, Spurgeon entered the pulpit, trusting in the power of the Holy Spirit to enable him to preach the gospel, gripped by this monumentous duty, Spurgeon preached with a keen awareness of the desperate need for the all-sufficient power of the Holy Spirit. Take a moment to just think about what we've just said. You know, where do you find yourself when you think about the privilege of being ambassador of Christ? You might not be like Spurgeon. You may never have an opportunity to talk to a thousand people and someone may never record what you say or write it down or put it in the newspaper. But you have someone. You have your wife. You have your friend. You have someone at work. You have someone that you'll meet at Taco Bell whenever you go to Taco Bell again. You have someone in the highways and byways that if your mind is open to it, God is going to open an opportunity for you to say something about him. And, and, And do you depend on the Holy Spirit to give you the words to say? Have you ever tried to represent or tell a story and you're like, I did it, tell a joke and you you butcher the joke and you're like, I didn't give it justice. Or you tell something really ingenious that you heard someone say, and then you're like, it don't even sound good after it come out of your mouth. Like we need, when it comes to the issue of the gospel, we need the Holy Spirit to help our mouth say it in the right way at the right time in the right manner. Um, let me just read one more paragraph and I'll, I'll open it up for your, your thoughts. Uh, was you going to say something, Jeff? I heard. So, so one more paragraph. Um, lecturing to his students. So there's a there's a um, I, I, I don't really remember the name. I could find it out, but there's there's something to the fact that there's a there's some sermons. There's the sermons of of, of Spurgeon, but there's also the lecture to his students. And this is where you kind of talk like to family. Like I don't know about you guys, but sometimes you bring your kids in close and you say. As the Davids, we don't do that here. You know, you might not say that on the Zoom call, you know, and you might not say that to other people at, at your work. But, but sometimes you bring in close your family. And so Spurgeon only preached to people that were in the ministry. I mean, as far as his school, when he taught, he only talked to people that were in the ministry. He didn't talk to wannabes in the ministry. He talked to people that were in the ministry. And he says here. Lecturing to his students in the pastor college, Spurgeon reiterated the need for all preachers to have such an awareness of the spirit empowered in the gospel ministry. And then this is the statement he says to his students. I believe in the Holy Ghost. Having pronounced that sentence as a matter of creed, I hope we can repeat it as a devout soliloquy forced to our lips by personal experience. To us, the presence and work of the Holy Spirit are the ground of our confidence. If we have not believed in the Holy Ghost, we should have laid down our ministry long ago. For who is sufficient for these things? Our hope of success and our strength for continual continuing in the service lies in our belief 
that the Holy Spirit of the Lord rests upon us. Um, so just a, a, a few thoughts. Is that's a bold statement that I think that the church of our day doesn't address. We've made such a safe haven for seeker friendly gospel. We've, we've, we've done so little to make sure that people are in the faith. But this is the bottom line. You know, there's two receipts that I think we talked about last week that are worth noting and, and etching into your mindset. The receipt that what Christ did, God honored as a payment for your sins is the resurrection. The fact that Christ rose from the dead and ascended to heaven at the right hand of the Father, that's the receipt. If that happened, you can take it to the bank that God has accepted. That is the way of reconciling men to himself. But then there's another receipt that's important. It's when, and it's adopt, I'll call it the adoption receipt. But when God chooses you out of the orphanage of this world, and he, 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 he signs the adoption papers with the blood of Jesus, then he gives you a receipt by putting his spirit in you. And I was thinking about this a little bit, just for, for a moment, I'll mention, I was thinking about two different movies I was watching, but sometimes you watch a movie where someone sees a ghost uh, of some nature and this person is talking to them and they, they see the ghost and the person is saying, you shouldn't do that, whatever. They're having a conversation and they're wrestling. And then sometimes in this wrestling match, someone else sees them and they just see them talking to themselves. And they're like, Hey, <laughs> what is wrong with this guy? This guy is crazy. And, 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 and what happens is when God puts the Holy Spirit inside of you, something, there's a lot of things that dramatically change, but one thing changes is the way you communicate with God. The, 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 the Lord begins to say, don't do that. Do that. Don't do that. Do that. And, and so there's this tug of war inside of you that you didn't have before you were saved. And so if if we don't have that tug of war and, and you read through like Romans eight is a good place to start where he, he talks about if you, if the spirit of Christ is in you, you're not in Christ, you're not saved, you know? And so here he's talking about not only is Christ being in you and you knowing that personal communion with Christ and him leading and guiding you in the way that you're going, if that's not going on, you shouldn't be a preacher and you shouldn't be sharing the gospel because what could you be sharing that would have any eternal value because you haven't been taught by the Holy Spirit yet. And so he's, he's addressing that here, um, you know, with his students. And it would be helpful, like people can go through a great deal of church and a great deal of ministry, uh, uh, ministry training, and we can forget to address what Spurgeon didn't neglect to address is, is the Holy Spirit leading and guiding you? Do you have a real call on ministry for your life? Are you accepting it? Are you denying it? These kind of things. It seems like we don't have those hard conversations sometimes. And that's what easy believism does is it, it just lets everybody be saved. But these receipts are important. What we believe about the resurrection, if we have a low view of the resurrection, we have a low view that Christ actually saves. And if we have a low view of the Holy Spirit actually living in us and having dominion over our life, and you know that's the way we talk in terms of Christ being Lord of our life. If we have a low view of that, then that's going to affect our Christian pilgrimage in the greatest extremes. But when we start realizing that God has, has, has given a holy mandate or a holy invitation for us to go and share with other people, that if, if, if they, you know, at the reality, we live with people that if they don't go to the, the banquet of Christ, the wedding banquet of Christ, they're going to perish in all of eternity. And we may not be the best speaker. We not might not be the, the most, attractive person that can give them this invitation, but it doesn't matter. The invitation in itself has all the value and all the weight. And it's our job to give that invitation. Um, so I'm going to pause with that. I know we got a few more in this, this first part, but does anybody have any thoughts that they're thinking about that they want to jump in on? 
it just makes me think, you know, regardless if it's thousands, you're speaking to one individual. I just started thinking about, you think about the, the Ethiopian eunuch or the woman at the well or, you know, the lepers or whoever it may be, how they went out and witnessed. And I, I guess what I'm getting at is the tripled effect. If I tell one person, who knows what that'll reach within time, you know? So I totally agree uh, with, uh, with you with that, Dennis. It's, uh, you know, so, uh, sometimes I guess we, we keep the, the spirit in our back, not back pocket, but behind us or whatever, and we try to move forward with that. But how important is the spirit to lead us and guide us through these uh, uh, journeys or uh I lost the word I was saying, but the uh, intervention in these uh, individuals that we meet, you know, in our workplace or wherever it may be. Well, think of this picture. Think about that you have an unlimited supply of ice cold water and ice cold water is in a hot commodity right now. If, if you're if you're doing anything outside, it is blazing hot. But think about society as 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 needing that sip of water. And, and all I'm trying to say is about the invitation. If you had unlimited supply of ice cold water, would you neglect people that are thirsty? I mean, you can ask people, Hey, do you want, do you want some water? And they might, ah, no, I'm good. I got a whole, I got a two liter right here, you know, whatever. But, but we should create the habit and the attitude where we're constantly offering the ice cold water of the gospel in a, in a sense. And some people will be thirsty and some people will, will, will not be thirsty, but we can tactfully and lovingly and be prepared to give that message in the most simple way and, and don't qualify or disqualify people based on anything, you know, right. Call right. all, call all. But, but on the other hand, don't be discouraged when they reject or they don't respond because first of all, the Holy spirit has to use your mouth to deliver it in an effective way. He has to work in their heart and ears for them to receive it in an effective way. And even sometimes you may say something that he may not um, grow it to later. So if we think about a seed that we put in the ground, we put it in and we don't just immediately have tomatoes, if that's your thing, tomato plants. You know, it takes time. So you never know by you being faithful and, um, you know, I don't want to say professional, but respectful and to the person and how you deliver the gospel, but you, but you don't back down. Um, you feel like the Holy Spirit is leading you to say something about Jesus. It don't have to be a lot, but you just represent Christ for a moment. Say, hey, you know, I don't do that because I'm a Christian and, um, and I, I'm, you know, or whatever the simple statement might be, but that can be a seed that, that if, if you, if, if they see that you live your life in a way that is different, they may say, hey, look, you know, I think I better try the way that person lives their life. And they may remember years down the road something you said and you forgot about it. You might not even remember their name anymore because you've changed so many um, um, environments, you know, that, that that that's so far you forgot about it. Um, Mr. Wayne, Jeff, y'all got anything? Well, you were leading up to uh, the other the other benefit of the Holy Spirit. Once, once we got in our hearts what we want to say and we have the motivation of love to say it, I think uh, what Spurgeon was saying is that he felt at first the burden, but once he, released, once he released his words, he also felt the presence of the Holy Spirit to do, his, to do the work that was going to be done. So it was like taking that heavy burden off of him knowing that he was going to say, what he was going to say came from his heart, then it was up to the Holy Spirit to portray that to people, and, and some would accept, some wouldn't. And so it's good to use the Holy Spirit to give you confidence and reassurance that as long as you're talking from the heart of God and with the Spirit in what you say, then that's all that you can do. The Holy Spirit then uh, takes over from there. Yeah. See, Jeff, you got anything before we move on? Yeah, no, I, I um, agree with with what you guys are saying, and what a what a picture of uh, a preacher that I, I just had that picture in my mind of him taking step after step, saying, "I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit," and um, it wasn't just something he's he's recited as a ritual. He was truly saying, um, 
Lord, remove remove me from this message, but I believe in your spirit to lead this thousand plus people. I can't imagine stepping in front of a thousand people, uh, but he was he was gifted in that way. And um, probably one of the greatest um, evangelists of our day, uh, Ray Comfort, I, if you ever hear him witness to people and I've been listening, I mean, uh just the the more he does it, the better he gets and and um, communicating truth. And I was, I've been watching some videos of him witnessing to people recently. And um, he's like, you can't see tears in my eyes as, as I'm telling you this, but I hope you hear it in my voice. I genuinely care about you. I love you. And I don't want you to go to hell. And that's why I'm here today. And, and so um, one person asked him once, well, Ray, how many people have, have you saved or brought to the Lord, um, you know, through your ministry? He's like, I haven't saved a soul. I haven't saved a, a single soul. That's the spirit of God who converts souls. And so he knew that his job, like you said, Dennis, was was to, to plant the seed and uh, and let the Lord do the work. Yeah, that's good. So 106 at the very bottom is the fourth paragraph of. And it says Spurgeon believed that the gospel would advance only if the spirit, the spirit enabled him and other ministers to proclaim it. He said, unless the Holy Ghost blessed the word, we who preach the gospel are of all men are of all. Um, let's see. How was that going? Um, men most miserable for we have attempted a task that is impossible. We have entered on a sphere where nothing but the supernatural will ever avail. If the Holy Spirit does not renew the hearts of our hearers, we cannot do it. If the Holy Ghost does not regenerate them, we cannot. If he does not send the truth home in their souls, we might as well speak into the ear of a corpse. Picture that for a minute. He further stated to us as ministers the Holy Spirit is absolutely essential. Without him, our office is in mere name. Again, Spurgeon confessed, if we have not the spirit which Jesus promised, we cannot perform the commission which Jesus gave. He believed that no human ability is sufficient to successfully spread the gospel. And so I ask you this morning, you know, to think in your heart, do you believe that? Do you believe that to successfully spread the gospel, that 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 you can't do that? You know, because I think the devil would tell you you can do it. And I think he knows you can't do it. And he knows he can waste your whole time playing ministry and actually not impacting anybody. But I think if we're really going to actually see converts, if we're really going to impact people to 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 be conformed to them and to Christ and to, 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 to thrive in the ministry of discipleship. Um, we have got to catch on to some of these, these nuggets that Spurgeon has left as a bread trail for us to realize the Holy spirit is extremely, extremely important. And when I read this, he said, if we have not the spirit, which Jesus promised, I like the way he words that. He says we cannot, you know, and, and I, I, but but this is the thing when I when I heard that phrase, if we have not the spirit which Jesus promised, well, my mind nat naturally went to is if we do not have the spirit which Jesus promised, we're not saved. Like, think about that for a second. Like, if Christ mm -hmm. is not in us, we are not saved. If people that you do church with. If, if Christ is not in them having that conversation, saying this is right, this is wrong, I want you to do this, you need to get involved in this. If, if they don't have that, that, that ghost talking in them, that Holy Ghost talking in them, then, then the whole Christian life is, is, is a struggle. And it's, it's futile and it's pointless. And like, I'm just afraid that there are people that we go to church with that they're either one or two things. They're in error one or two ways. They either think they're saved, but they know good and well under examination, the Holy Ghost is not living in them. And that means they're not saved. Or they got such a foot in the world 
that they're not even listening to the Holy Ghost that's living in them. They're gre- What's Ephesians 4, somewhere at the end of Ephesians 4, 26 or something says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, which you are sealed by the day of redemption, or however it says it there. But it's, it's saying both things. It says the Holy Spirit that in you is giving you confidence and assurance that you're in Christ and that your sin debt has been paid on the cross and that God is going to be merciful to you when you die. And, 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 and that's important. And there's nothing more important than that, than what we do. But the, the sidebar that, that he addresses here, that, that, you know, nobody is leading, you know, I guess it is possible, but I'm going to just say it this way. Nobody's leading people to Christ that are not saved. So you get the Holy ghost in you. And as it changes your life, you say other people need this life-changing experience. And so you share the gospel with the hope that God will put the Holy Ghost in them and that they can see the transformation that you've benefited from. But what does that do, that transformation? It makes you a foreigner in your native land. In this life, you're no longer this. You're not a citizen of this world anymore. You're a citizen of heaven. And so... Being filled with the Holy Ghost, being born, be having the receipt that God adopted you as his child makes you a citizen of heaven, not a citizen of this world anymore. And it creates itself challenges. It makes for a weird pilgrimage. It makes you have to say sometimes, what do I do with this? This is all, you know, it, it makes you a, a odd creature in this life. And so what do we do? What does the devil do through whatever it is, the seeker-friendly gospel? The devil says, well, don't you want friends in this life? Don't you want to be comfortable in this life? Don't you want to enjoy things in this life? And maybe what we should acknowledge and say sometimes is no. (laughs) We don't want to be comfortable in this life because our treasures are not in things that moth and rust will destroy, but it's in, in heaven. It's in an eternal place. And I think as believers, if somewhere we can begin to wrap our mind around and wake up from the seduction of this world that has that has lured us to be so tightly um, attached to the things of this world. Um, you know, so back to the text, I, I, I rambled a bit. He believed that no humility, human ability is sufficient to successfully spread the gospel. And so. You know, I ask you again, you know, do you believe that? Because I believe that we can go down a path where we think, you know, they had, you know, the solos of the Reformation. You know, I mentioned this last week was um, was scripture alone and 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 grace alone, faith alone and Christ alone um, and 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 glory alone. But, but, but just think about scripture alone. Like people today still fight. Like all you need is the Bible. Is that all you need? And they want to say, well, we need this. We need this. We need that. And, and like I told you about the Christmas tree one time, the, you know, the cross of Christ was simple. But we want to add to it, you know, because the adding to it gives validation to us. So this idea of saying that that he believed that no human ability was sufficient to successfully spread the gospel is stripping all of what we bring to the table and saying that the Holy ghost is the key, the key ingredient. You know, it's the only ingredient necessary. It brings it to a supreme supremacy. So anyway, the, the, the fifth, fifth chapter here, consequently um, Spurgeon, was clear as to what preachers must do. Since conversion is a divine work, we must take care that we depend entirely upon the Spirit of God and look to Him for power over men's minds. Should we not pray more importantly to to be anointed with His sacred... I don't even know what that word is. Un... Unction. Unction. That's like, uh, how, how would we explain Unction huh? is our desire. We need to be uh, fully, fully desire. Okay. Um, all right. I lost my place. Um, 
Should should we not in preaching give more scope for his operation? Do we not fail in many of our efforts because we practically, though not doctrinally, ignore the Holy Ghost? Clearly, I believe in the Holy Spirit was more than just a creed for Spurgeon. It was a confession of his desperate need and deep trust. And I'm trying to see this last little paragraph. That this chapter, so these are just the questions. This chapter will focus on Spurgeon's understanding of the role of the Holy Spirit in the gospel ministry. How must the Spirit work in promoting the gospel? How does, and, and then in this promoting the gospel, he breaks it in two parts. How does the Spirit direct a believer's words in the presentation of the gospel? And what is the Spirit's effect on one who hears the gospel? So as believers, you know, when we're thinking about this promoting of the gospel, we've already been evangelized. If, if Christ lives in us, we've already been evangelized. So we may do evangelizing. We may present the gospel. But, but there's not necessarily so much a need for salvation for someone to present the gospel to us. But as we get a clearer view, which is the next point he's going to talk about, as we get a clearer view of the gospel, hearing the gospel for believers is helpful. It does grow them in Christ. Um, and so as we present the gospel, it does have an evangelist, evangelistic and a discipleship aspect. But, but once we're saved, um, the presentation of the gospel, as far as the Holy Spirit working to open our ears for conversion or for salvation, we don't need that. But the Holy Spirit does still open our ears to the value of the gospel and to the truths of the Bible all the way through, even expanding out from the gospel. Um, so um, let me just read this first paragraph and I'll open it up again. In Supernatural Enlightenment, it says, first Spurgeon believed that the Holy Spirit must instruct his mind, giving him a clear understanding of the gospel. The enlightenment began when he opened the Bible in the solitude of his study. Spurgeon remarked, it is in our study work in that blessed labor when we are along with the book before us that we need the help of the Holy Spirit. He takes of the things of Christ and shows them unto us by his light, all things are rightly seen. He, under, he understood that it was only the Holy Spirit gave divine enlightenment that he could rightly understand the gospel. So um, let me I'll flip to my notes on that page. Um, but I really appreciated this particular section. Um and this is that idea that made me think about um, the puzzle and the puzzle pieces. And I, I drew, let's see, I drew a picture on my note where that was there. But, but the, the word is our anchor, but the Holy Spirit helps us to rightly divide the word. And they come together i think in john 4 when he when he's talking to the woman it's a samaritan woman he says the time is coming and is here now when true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth and so the spirit that they've received where god puts christ in us and the holy spirit in us and he teaches us you know when when he says no one will need to teach one that God will teach them themselves. That's what he's talking about is that you have the word. And when you read the word, it's a big old puzzle piece. And it's hard to kind of sort together. And One person is putting it together this way. And another person is putting it together another way. And who's right? Well, the Holy Spirit comes and meets you right where you're at and begins to quiet that, that storm, just like Jesus quiet that storm in that boat when the disciples were anxious and freaked out. When you're freaked out or anxious about all the things that you're hearing, the Holy Ghost comes and gives you a peace that surpasses all understanding, and he settles the storm in you and says, I know that's a lot, but we're going to start right here. We're going to start right here. And, and where he starts in the, in the overall Bible with Mr. Wayne, it could be different than, than, than Keith and, and Jeff and me, but, but he's teaching us. 
He knows where we're at. He knows our thoughts. He knows everything about us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And he, he says, all right, right here, we're going to start with this verse. And he takes this verse that the world would say, how could that even help any of your problems? And he pours power in it. You know, it, we say that the word is alive. When we read the word of God in our quiet place and the Holy Ghost is narrating it for us, it is powerful. It is alive. And if we read the Bible over and over again, and it's just a dull book that seems abstract and 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 silly and how could this have anything to do with the price of tea in china you have a problem you have just went through the mri of christianity and it has told you that you don't have christ because if christ is in you he is he's thirsty and hungry for his word and so when you take that quiet time and you say I'm going to take 15 minutes and I'm just going to take this passage and I'm just going to allow the Holy Ghost to teach me about it. There needs to be power in that. Like you should walk out refreshed. You know, when I go eat a good meal, I walk out refreshed physically in this life, in this, in this body. But our spirit should be refreshed after some time in God's word. And if that's not true of you, Reach out to someone and say, I'm struggling with reading God's word. I'm struggling with seeing the life and the power of that. And I need some, some prayer. I need some encouragement. What am I missing here? And it might be the Holy Ghost. <laughs> it, it might be surrendering to Christ. You know, but reach out. You are connected to a body of believers. And, and some may not know Christ. But some do. You keep reaching out till you find someone that God can use to help you make the word come alive and you find the anchor of his word. But more than that, not only is it the written word, it's the living word living inside of you. As Christ lives inside of you, he knows the book from front to back. He knows what its intentions were. He knows how it was meant to be presented. And you don't have to worry about what John says and Jim says and, and, and Tracy says. You got to worry about what the word says and how the Holy Spirit enlightens it to your heart as you humbly sit before him and you say, Lord, I know you know my heart. I know you know my desire and my desire is to know what do you mean by this text. What do you mean? How does it apply to my life? And what do you have for me? What do you want me to do as your ambassador? What mission, what statement, what call do you have for me? Because in knowing that, everything else should come around it. You know, we're, we're living our lives a lot of times, and even as believers, we're living our lives a lot of times with, with our job as our priority, our family as our priority, our, the weather, the president, the economy as our priority. But at some point, we got to get to the one truth that we know from Scripture is that Jesus is our priority. Seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added. Most of us are in a boat with a storm all going around and it's because we haven't made Jesus our priority. Uh, that was a soapbox there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so any thoughts on that? I said I was going to open it up, um, you know, with this, this first paragraph. You know, what does your quiet time look like? You know, um, are you being faithful to it? You know, um, what y'all think? Jeff, you there? You gone? Jeff's probably about to walk out the door. It's 7.50. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm still here. All right, give um, it your last thought there. Yeah, so I, I do think that, uh, man, our quiet time is so important. Our study is so important. Um, I've heard it said before, you, you won't know the will of God any more than you know the word of God. And if... Um, if you're not sharpening yourself, if you're not equipping yourself through the word of God, um, you're going to go out there and, and try is to sell it or, or, you know, do it on your own apart from the spirit. And, um, yeah, I mentioned Ray Comfort earlier and, and, you know, he's, he said before that he doesn't go a single day without reading his Bible. And I've just listened to different evangelism encounters and he's not sitting there saying, well, 
you know, let me take you through this verse. And then he reads this verse is just in his vocabulary, it's in his language. And, it, you know, the way he speaks, scripture just pours out of his mouth. And it's like, if you're not investing the time in scripture to understand what God's word says, um, you're not going to have that vocabulary. And the spirit teaches you and, and he he commits it to your memory as well. Um, you know, when you understand a truth by the, the by, in the word of God, by the spirit, um, it, it anchors inside of you. And the next time, you know, that it comes out that you speak, you, you're kind of sometimes taken back. Like, wow, I can't remember that. I'm surprised that I even remember that verse or that scripture or even had the ability to say it. Well, that's the spirit of God leading your thoughts, um, you know, leading you and uh, in, in, in faith by the way that you study and invest in the scripture. So, I mean, it's so, so important. Uh, to, add, to add to that, Jeff, uh, I like the way Spurgeon emphasized the, that even even the extra study that he did for the more knowledge before he he studied in his um, study in his closet. Like the most important thing Jesus said when he said to the disciples, "How do I pray?" He said, "In your closet." And you, it's a, it's an environment that you've got to set up. People don't realize just how important it is to set up this environment for their prayer, for their reading, for their study. You get to a place that's quiet. You don't let the world in. You, you ask for a, a sanctification from the, from the, you ask Jesus to get rid of the Satan. And you ask Jesus to take over your mind so your will don't get in his way. I get a little sign on my living room wall that says, help me to keep, help me to keep you in your will, God, so I won't be in your way. And this <laughs> environment is essential. People don't often realize how essential this study, this closet you've got to get yourself into is. Yeah, that's good. What do you think, Keith? Yeah, I'd like to just tack on to Mr. Wayne's thing. I, I was just sitting here thinking, just like we put our shoes and our clothes on or we bring our reading glasses, I mean, it has to be a central part of our life. It, uh, and it, it has to be one of those things that we, that, that we need. We can't go our day without it. Uh, Dennis, it just reminds me of the days back at Down Home Grill, sitting around the table, you know, and you used to talk about the microwave. You either microwave or you slow cook it, you know, and do you want something good, rich, and hearty, or just something quickly brewed? And I love the way uh, Spurgeon said a failure to study, he believed, would leave him superficial in his handling of the scripture. Uh, at the top of the page 109, it's like if, you know, if we don't dig deep into it, how deep are we, you know, how com how committed are we to explain those things that need to be explained to that individual at that time? Uh, yeah, it's just a good, uh, an incredible, another incredible chapter to read and just to soak in. Yes. So we'll wrap up with these two, um, you know, because I know we're getting out of time. Um, and, but I, I, Jeff mentioned Ray Comfort a couple of times. That's Living Water Ministries. Everybody that has access to YouTube, you can um, search that and find that. And they literally, if you ever have a question of, uh, if, if you ever want to picture in your mind what evangelizing to every kind of situation out there, they pretty much got a video on it. I mean, from everything to, um, to um, you know, abortion to same-sex marriages, just, just any any issue that you might be facing, they've got an evangelistic um, 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 walkthrough. And the, the um, I, I heard a state, I was watching one the other day, and I heard a statement the guy said, he said, anybody can be patient with someone that agrees with them. It's being patient with people that strongly disagree with you. That is the problem. And, um, man, the tact. You can really learn some stuff and be challenged in the area of pet patients. The way they show respect to people that don't respect them, the way they show love and, and continue to try to press in on hard topics, it, you know, th their videos are really, really challenge you, um, you know, in that, that way. But, but just giving you the quick highlights and what I would just, I know we didn't get to get through this, um, this supernatural enlightenment, but I, I wanted to kind of leave two pictures he talks about study. Um, we need to study. We need to study like crazy. Um, I think the, the part that you pulled out in the fourth chapter, he says Spurgeon possessed more than 10,000 books. Now that's, that was back what, 200 years ago. 
he didn't have the internet like we do. And I, I started thinking about it. I don't have as many books as probably they would have had because we got, you know, digital and, and internet and all that. But, but whatever, he had 10,000 books. He was a brilliant man. He was Joe Brovero, mind, fast thinker, all that. Remember, recall, all that kind of stuff. But, but, he, but he said that um, he, he said he, when he prepared for a message, he referred to most all of them, that he, he did a lot of study. But at one part, it says, uh, I'm trying to think of where it was, uh, I'm not walking right through it. But one part, he said that he did so much study. He had like, it sent, sent so much outline, so many flow charts, whatever, that if he would have brought that to the pulpit, it would have sound like methodical and just like dead. And so he would bring one little slim piece of paper and he would trust that all, all that weak study, all that hard work, all that time with the Lord, that the Holy Spirit would bring it out and deliver it the way it needed to be delivered. But he did not, he was not like, we can't say this enough. And, and I know I'm just trying to cover a grass uh, uh, over a, 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 a bunch of stuff, but but Spurgeon was a practicer. He was a studier. He was a hard worker. He was serious, serious about studying. But he never took all that knowledge and brought it to the, to the I think when it gets into divine wisdom, he talks about how, uh, how the knowledge can be dangerous. And he says some beautiful things about that. But Spurgeon never took all that puffed up resources of mental energy and, and delivered it the way he wanted to deliver it. He allowed God to use it or not use it or, or, or whatever. So, uh, but, but, but that deal, I think in this um, supernatural enlightenment, he didn't neglect the hard work of study, but he submitted all that to, to Christ, you know, and, 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 and it's almost like all that work is giving you something to offer to him. And you know what? Don't let the left hand know what the right hand's doing. Don't go tell people about all your study. Don't you let them see it by the glow that comes out of you. You know, when someone says, why are you so fired up about Jesus? You know, you know, then maybe you tell them, because I've been reading like 5,000 books, you know, and, and he's awesome. Everyone I read, he's awesome, you know, um, but, but, but don't go tell them because if you go tell them, I read 5,000 books and there's no power in you. That really don't make nobody. It don't do nobody any good. But let them come and ask you. Read enough books that the fire of, you know, one of the topics is fiery, uh, fiery passion. Read until the fiery passion ignites in you. I had a guy tell me one time when I was trying to figure out how to start a Sunday school class. He said, well, I'll give you this point. He said, get on fire about Jesus. Let people know about it. And people will come watch you burn. <laughs> and I, I like that. So, so I mean, press in, press hard, get on fire about Jesus. If you know, if if you're not there, read more, read more. You know, study more. You know. So, anyway, final thoughts, and we'll get out of here. I see Jeff done jumped off. Happy Father's Day. Um, we'll uh, pick up where we left off next week. Uh, any thoughts, Keith? Uh, it's just great building blocks, Dennis. Uh, I've loved going through this book and everything. Uh, yeah, I'm excited for next weekend as well. There's so It's so rich in here and what he has to offer and guidelines and uh, just the Holy Spirit stoking our, sto our soul, you know, and keeping that fire burning. It's, it's awesome. Yeah, Thank you. Which thing, Mr. Wayne, before we get off? Thank you, Dennis, the fire apparent in you too <laughs> yeah. yeah amen, oh, man, amen. I, i've been praying for some things and um I, I hit that attribute book and like i i gave it for those that what i don't remember keith i don't think you were here but i gave the emoji last week that when i got through i was reading through the the attributes uh well there's actually not a book on it it's only audio but it's through the same author right. this book but the attribute yeah. and i'm just like boom like this blow up experience mind-blowing explosion i'm like this is awesome i mean I, I'm like, i've been a christian 40 years why haven't i had this before and i'm just <laughs> like man we could be way further along if i just got these things anchored in but look um 
I've heard people talk about Jonathan Edwards a lot. Jonathan Edwards in 1750 was a part of the first great awakening. And he's considered the greatest American theologian of, uh, of, of that America produced. And um, so that's pretty weighty, weighty person, you know, and, um, and anyway, so I had just with free will and stuff like that, he has a book freedom of the will. And then Martin Luther, the reformer that started the Protestant reformation as bondage of the will. And they really dive deep in, and just, deep, deep thoughts about the will and how it works and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it, it's, it's a, it's not a mind blow. It's, it, it's kind of mind blowing, but it's more of a headache. You know, it's a rushing, right? Like, ah, I got a headache. I can't think anymore. You know, it's a little different thinking, but so I always thought that Jonathan Edwards greatest work was kind of that with the exception of what's the actual short book, um, um, centers in the hands of an angry God. And if you hadn't ever read mm-hmm. that, that's mind blowing. And you can process that. It's a very short read. You can read it in one setting and you'll walk, you'll walk away feeling something like, Oh my, you know, um, but that was one of his famous things, but another famous book that I'd heard about, but I didn't think it was high on the list. So I kind of neglected it, but it's a little bit easier to read, but it's super long and you have to devote some time to it, but it's called religious affections. And he goes through three parts where he shows that everything about a religion is about our affections and it's about worshiping God through our affections. Um, but learning how to discern between what are right affections, because we could have affections for the world or we got affections for God. Are we going to do selfish affections or selfless affections? But he walks through affections with a great, great deal of um, specific specificity, just like the attributes of God does. And what this does, just as the attributes of God talk about more, it reveals who God is and who he's trying. Like when we say he's conforming you to the image of Christ and you're like, okay, well, what does the image of Christ look like? What am I supposed to be conformed to? So when you understand the attributes of God, you kind of understand the path a little bit better, like what he wants you to look like. But in the same way with affections, it breaks it down into how you express these things. What does the day-to-day, you know, look like? And so our old nature is always causing us to have bad affections and our new nature is driving us to new affections. So he, he really kind of lays that framework out and paints that picture. But one thing that I mentioned a little bit earlier in the study is how do you know if someone is saved or not? And do we even want to navigate into that? So the Bible does talk about false um, false teachers and false prophets, but sometimes it doesn't always talk about false converts in that sense. I mean, but what happens is if people are listening to false prophets or false teachers and taking what they say to heart, then essentially they're going to be a false convert. And so what Edwards talks about is what affections for God look like and what what but basically what true and false affections look like, what true and, and real religion looks like. So one of the examples that I gave is if we read 5,000 books, don't go tell people you're reading 5,000 books, that's false religion and that's false affections. But, but when you truly just fall in love with Christ and you can't stop thinking about him and it just starts bubbling over like a overflowing cup or well to other people. Right. And it becomes contagious and people start changing people's lives because of what he's doing in you. If you become a fire pit and they're cold and they come for warmth out of you, you know, you're not talking about the 5,000 books you read. You're not talking about the hours of prayer. They just are seeing the Holy Ghost working in you and they want some of that. You know, God changes people by changing you um, in that way. So. Um, but yeah, I, I've been thankful because sometimes you go through the pilgrimage of Christian life and you just feel like it's a, a dry and weary land. And, um, so man, I've been, I've been thankful for both of those. I feel like my cup, I got way, way more work than I can actually do, you know, but, but there's some, there, I, I'm just glad to find a good tree of life out there that I can start eating from, you know, and I, I'm excited about it. So yeah, Mr. Keith. You want to close this in prayer? Yeah, absolutely. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time that you've given us just to uh, reach out over these uh, phone lines, computers, and just to join in and open up your word. We just 
pray for those that couldn't be with us, Lord, that your blessings will be upon them and their families, Lord, and just be with us as we continue our day to go be with the other brothers and sisters and worship in you, Lord. And Lord, as we continue to go through this book of uh, one of your saints and men you anointed, let us just, uh, just dig deep into it, Lord, and let your spirit just anoint us and stoke our hearts, Lord, to, as Dennis says, and that fire just, just glows and burns, Lord. Let us just seek you and just, just continue to reach out to you, for Lord, for your word and your wisdom, Lord. I just pray that you watch over us and guide us and be with our families, Lord. We thank you and we love you. In your name, Jesus, amen. 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 Let's see. Let's do that. Guys, y'all have a blessed day. Happy Father's Day to you again. I, you too, brother. Appreciate you. All right.